This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today, as our guest, we have Joseph Embriano. He's the CEO of Omnikai. It's a transformational coaching agency that helps social impact companies, small businesses, and startups, nonprofit organizations, and NGOs, and digital nomads build smarter so they can overcome today's challenge and shape tomorrow's world. Joseph's had international experience helping organizations in China, Africa, Latin America, and he is now residing in the mile-high city of Denver. Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bob, for having me. Thanks for taking the time. Tell us about your business and who you serve. We help businesses through crisis. Actually, we help organizations in general through crisis. And what that means is a lot of times companies have focused on growth, but haven't built the capacity around them to sustain that growth. And what it leads is to asymmetry, asymmetry in the system, the inability to, to deliver to their clients, the inability to take their purpose and make it a reality, the inability to serve their customers. So what we do is help build that capacity to growth by strategically aligning, making sure that business mission is intact, by getting rid of all those shiny objects, those things that we might be testing that is sucking away our time and, and other resources, by systemizing, delegating, doing the automation that doesn't require human interaction. And at the same time, when all that's done, hiring a team of people who can turn that vision into reality in a way that you can't do on your own or with a team that doesn't work. We've all read the business articles, right? And they all say, you should do this or you should do that. And they say what to do in large part. Yeah. And, and a lot of folks go, I know what I should do. I just don't know how I should do that. Why don't we take a look and maybe talk through like a case study of, of a company that you worked with in the past. Of course. Problem, diagnosis, plan, execution. Well, most of the times the client comes to me, it's a question of revenue. We need more revenue. But the actual problem is the ability to handle the clients they already have or the ability to have that capacity. So a few years ago, a tech company had a great influx of cash investors pouring in from all areas, and they double down on current spending habits to double down on what had worked before with them to grow, to receive more customers. And they were having problems because it wasn't showing the results they were looking for. They thought that more money in marketing equaled a better ROI, equaled more customers, higher growth. But with growth, they forgot to build the organizational systems that was necessary to handle that growth. So what systems? The hard systems, like CRMs, content okay. management systems, um, but also the soft systems, like, like communication systems, mm -hmm. customer onboarding, contracts, the ability to manage large amounts of new customers at once while still being able to deliver on the customers that you have, right? It's not just getting them to the door. You want to keep them in the house for as long as possible by giving exceptional service, right? And so they've been focusing so much to bringing people to the door that by the time when they got the cash inflow, they tried to continue doing the same thing, not recognizing that they needed to do more. Not just customer-facing systems, but also things like accounting systems, tax preparatory systems, like bringing in everything that you need so that as you're moving forward as a business, everything is still working underneath. And if you don't have to focus your time and energy as a leader on the small things, the mundane things, even though they're important, then you're able to free yourself up for that next level, which is how do you create more value for your customers? 
How do you create more value for the other stakeholders, the people who were the VCs that gave you money? And then how, if you can get that done, you go to the next level, which is how do you align towards your purpose and fulfill what you set the business up to begin with anyway? You know, for, for that entrepreneur, right? And, you know, we've done really good. We built it. We got an infusion of cash. Good for us. And now we're going to ramp and we're going to spend lots of money. Yeah. What do you think the tipping point was for them to reach out to you saying, we have a problem. We can't figure it out. It normally manifests itself in people. And so when they got them the bunch of cash, they hired a bunch of people, quick fixes, people that solve current fires. They had no communication system in place. They didn't have a clearly defined um, a business mission. Everyone couldn't connect what they do to that purpose. And they couldn't connect what they do to that customer. And so you had a bunch of people who were brought in, poorly trained, with no sense of where they fit into the entire structure. And it became, and uh, productivity decreased by a, a lot. And so once again, that turned into um, a question of growth, which came to me. Often we think that everyone shares our vision as a CEO, but that's not the case, right? Not only do we need to share our vision, we need to share our vision at the level in the company that the person's role is at. And by everyone understanding where they fit, it becomes a, an organism working together instead of one leader dragging a hundred people along with them and they are not clear as to what they're doing. You know, I, I think about, so I'm an employee of this company, right? Yeah. And they brought you on board. So clear, clearly the, the expenses and the growth are not there. That's the symptom of the overarching problem yeah. or problems. So after talking to the leadership team, when you walk through the door as a leadership team, what should that leadership team expect you to do in the first week or so? Well, what they expect me to do, what they should expect me to do in the first hour or so is to ask a bunch of questions, questions that, that they might be uncomfortable with. We want to get down not to the, to the problem that they're bringing to me, but the actual fundamental. And so that involves understanding, going back to this case study, what do they do with all that money, right? How did you have all that money? And this is what's become of it, right? Was there a smarter way to go about it? Where is the money? You follow the money, you realize their decision making. And then you go, okay, well, what has been, what has been the point of this business? What is the purpose of this business? And if it doesn't align, then that's where it begins, right? And so that was the fundamental problem with this tech company. They took the money and money became their master. They started spending it on a bunch of cool things and they didn't have a purpose in mind. And that reflected across all areas of the business. So over the first week, it's understanding and clarifying the purpose of your business. If it's clear, then the question is, so if it's not clear, that involves a lot of talking between leadership, right? And listening to data in the market, and then also listening to the people who've invested in your company. If it is clear, then the question, then we go to the next question, well, but why are you moving into that direction, right? And it becomes more of a tactical question, right? Uh, if you know where you're going, then why aren't you headed there, right? And then after that, it comes down to, well, let's look at your operations. Let's see what's, what are the, the headwinds that are, that are keeping you from going there? And then what are the poor decision making that's getting you there? Right. Obviously you have resources. And speaking of this tech company, they have resources, but they don't, but it's not reflected. They're not making good leadership decisions. Right. And so it's just figuring that out from the top down. You wonder, or at least I do the things that 
get you to a certain level, but the same things can also prohibit you from getting to the next level. Of course. So you look at, well, we always did it this way. We just figured yeah. we just double up. And that's the wrong way of going about it. Because to get from zero to one, from an idea to market-validated product or service, is really getting your head above water in the market. You're an idea that's successful. But to make it a business or an organization that's successful, you've got to build structure around your business so that, one, you as a leader are not in the water, right? You are able to remove yourself from the business and focus on the things that matter most, which are stakeholders' interests and mid to long-term direction, right? But at the same time, you need the organizational structures to be there so that the people who are actually doing the work day in, day out, they understand their role and they have the resources that are necessary so that they can do it and pivot and iterate at once. And that also involves for many people who have just come out of that point and they're ready to double down on something, right? They've gotten to a level and they need to change it, but they don't realize it and they're doubling down on it. They need to trust the team. That the, trust the team that they hired to do the work and produce in a way that's bigger than the vision of the person who is leading it. I think about the vision and a lot of the catchphrases that we hear a lot of nowadays. And you think about, okay, there's a lot, there's a big spread between what you say and what you do. Yes. So let, let's say that you've gone through the diagnostic period mm -hmm. and you've asked everybody you can think of and you say, we have a general idea of what I think some of the challenges are in this organization. And then there's some level of buy-in from leadership. I'm sure there's some that don't and some that do. And then once you have buy-in of leadership and you understand what do you do to ensure execution and also to transmit the execution to the rest of the stakeholders or employees of that firm. Well, buy-in isn't enough if it's just at the leadership level. And I think a lot of people make that mistake. They're like, well, we understand where we're going. We've hired these people. They will follow us, right? Like they're profits. But that's not the way it works. You need buy-in from every person in that organization and all the stakeholders. It doesn't have to be 100% buy-in. That's the ideal. But we recognize that the people who invented the idea, the people who started the company, should have a higher level buy-in than everyone else. So there needs to be sort of a, a understood level, an acceptable level of buy-in. But once my dream as a leader becomes our dream as a company, that changes the game. That's taking something that worked from one level and redefining that business so that the entire business is working together as an organism make it work. What's your preferred method or mechanism for transmitting from the idea with the leadership team now that you've got it distilled through the entire organization? What do you do? So it involves a few different things. Top-down seems to be the, the, the easiest approach, and then the opposite is bottom-up. But, but when it comes down to it, it's how do you take a vision that a CEO says to his stakeholders, says out there to the world, and then bring it, and how do you take that and make it, change it, edit it, so that it resonates with the people who are building it. For me, it's changing the language so that it maybe is less visionary and more operational and is said in a manner that puts them in the vision. So an engineer, right? An engineer builds the system that allows the product to reach the customer and that way it builds the mission. Without you doing this, the market can't receive our products. Without you doing this, 
we can't fit our mission in X, Y, and Z, which is very different than when a CEO comes up and goes, I dream of a place, right? And engineers are like, that's not a language we understand, right? Give it in terms of inputs and outputs, right? So it's understanding the person's level and their role and speaking to them in that level and in that role, right? Being, being visionary to the people who need vision and being operational and tactical to the people who are, who are in the trenches working every day. And I find that when people understand clearly their role, not only in like building the system, but how that system build, helps the customer and how that system moves the organization forward, right? That person can buy in because he, he understands his place, right? He understands that the business can't operate without that role. It's funny, I was thinking back, uh, JFK was uh, in Canaveral, when it was still Canaveral. Yeah. And he was walking down the hallway, and there was a guy with a broom sweeping the hallway. And he stops and says, what are you doing? He says, we're putting a man on the moon, sir. Yes. And so he understood his exactly. part of the role. You know, I, I think about, in, both in the military and other places, we'd have people come in and say, we all should do whatever it is we should do. And then yeah. it was like the seagull approach. You're familiar? I am, yeah. You know, so the seagulls would come in and they would make their deposits and then they would leave. Then they would leave, yeah. And everybody <laughs> looks at each other and goes, so what's next? And then when you're talking about putting the systems and processes in place, and then there's some mechanism, I'm assuming, that you use to monitor achievement of milestones. What does that look like and who basically is in charge of that in the organization? It depends on the organization. If you're short and nimble, right, then, then perhaps the, the project manager does, right, because he sees above and below. If it's a large organization, depending on the goals, right, it can be, to be honest, it doesn't matter who controls it as much as who buys into it and uses that as a lever to push productivity up or to push creativity out or to better innovate. Usually after we figure out the mission, and after we, we sort of recalibrate operations towards the mission, the next thing is, well, what are our goals over the next year? Six months, right? And I, I go outward because a lot of people focus on fires. They hire for the fires and they communicate for the fires. A, a business that's constantly operating in fires uh, doesn't have a direction, right? They're running the sand still. By putting that out there and figuring out the goals, then it becomes a measure of how to achieve them. The system can be made to can be customized for those goals and for the culture of the company, which is a, a critical piece of, of the success. So I'm, I'm going to take and be the role of the business owner. Please. And so we've, you've come in and we've all had this and we all have agreed we're going this way and the policies, procedures, and techniques are all established and so on. And then when you go through to go, are we making progress and so on, what frequency do you typically recommend they look at and then to take and continue to bring along maybe some of the doubting employees along the way. How do you frame progress to the rank and file, for lack of a better term? It's less of the dynamics of the military and more the dynamics of a movement, right? And with the movement, there will be people. So in the military, you are, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're required <laughs> to carry out your orders, mm -hmm. right? There's, you can doubt as much as you want, but this is your role. And that has its place, right? With a movement, you, it, it, there's a bell curve of people and there's a bell curve of buying, right? There'll be people who buy completely in and then there'll be a lot of people who are on the fence and then a lot of people, it's like a funnel of buy-in, right? As a leader, it's important for me to not focus on the top-down communication, but letting people around the people on the fence, right? The ones who've already bought in, 
slowly convert the people on the fence and let the people on the fence slowly bring the people who are like never to get to the fence, right? A movement takes a long time and there's never a hundred percent. Do you a think leader, there's a recognition wave among the doubters from the believers? This is really working. We're seeing a change. Yes. Is it, do you typically see that tipping point? With results, right? If you're coming from a point where as a business, you're not having results and then we make these changes, the people on the fence and the people away, these people are reflecting the old, mm. right? The before, right? For them to get to the now, we need to show the results. Actually, I don't need to show anything, right? The, the leaders need to show the results so that they become the leaders that can bring about the movement. And so with the recognition of results brings the recognition that, oh, this is something that matters. This is something that moves. This mission is worth waking up and working on every single day. And that takes time, right? I don't expect to bring about 100%. But I do understand the power of a movement and a power of just a few people across an organization that can evangelize that, that communicate that through results. You've had a fair amount of international experience in doing what you do. If you were to look at your experience on the international arena, how do you think that brings value to your current client base? So I've been doing this since 2004. My job back then, I was paid to fix fires for European companies trying to do business in China, failing, right? What I would see is, is the equivalent of an ER doctor and what they would see on a battlefield because there was no rules of engagement. There were just a lot of problems made because the European companies, my clients, would copy and paste models that worked in Germany or France and thought that it would work in the northwestern part of China. And that just couldn't happen. Right? And so I got to see business at its worst, the effect of poor decision-making at the top. That's been the focal point. And since then, it's been this journey to understand, to better understand the different layers of the organization. And then when I get into the decision-making room with the leaders, to help them understand the consequences within an uncertain environment. As we, we were just talking about it beforehand, most entrepreneurs, most business people haven't really operated in a bear market. They haven't operated when the market is down. They don't understand and they confuse their success with their control, right? That they've brought it out, not recognizing the favorable, the favorable headwinds that have... The rising tide lifts all boats. The rising tide, that's exactly right. The rising tides lift all boats. When I started, there were, it, was, it was in 2004, a poor economy, the world, you know, the, the, um, we had to make better decisions and understand the value and the cost of all consequences and still live with that decision. How did you get into China? Okay. So. Because you speak Chinese, yes. I speak Chinese. I taught myself Chinese Mandarin there. or Mandarin. Yes. Mandarin. Before I was uh, at the point of being an interpreter in terms of fluency. And so it's less so now. But anyway, so I wanted to be an investment banker out of college. Mm -hmm. And when I graduated, I extended a semester. And so I was going to graduate in December. And I applied in August for all the, the, the investment banks that I wanted, the prestigious one. And I got one from one of the most prestigious ones that are out there. And I had the offer in my hand and everything was wonderful. And then a few weeks later, September 11th happened. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the offer was gone and I had no plan B. And around us, the world was in a stunned shock, right? You remember the time. And that's how I entered the workforce. So for two years, I did menial jobs trying to figure out, because if you remember, it was this down 
there was this trickle effect of high skilled workers moving into lower skilled jobs and would push out lower skill workers. And so a lot of people were not doing what we're trained to do. Around 2003, this wasn't working. I need to leave this situation. Where would I go if I have six months? And I chose China. And I went to China and after four months, I fell in love with the place, felt like home to me. And so I said, you know, I should learn Chinese. And so I taught myself Chinese every day in a cafe. It was called KFC Coffee. I'm sure it violated a whole bunch of IP law, but that's where I learned Chinese in Xi'an. And I was going to a place in the western part of China, near Pakistan, called Kashgar, where the Silk Roads met. Mm -hmm. And it was always fascinating to me to understand the history of trade back then and how important the Silk Road was, and I wanted to see it for myself. On that path, I stopped into a post office. And in that post office, there was a man screaming in English at the clerk. And it was rare to see someone speaking a foreign language anyway there. This is 2004. Few people were even in China, right? This guy was screaming in a part of the desert where most people don't go. And so I went over and I interpreted for him. And on my way out, he's like, whoa, you speak Chinese. And I was like, yeah. He's like, I need you to come with me now. He took me to a place. On one side was a, a group of Chinese businessmen. He was on the other side. And they were arguing slash yelling slash building their things, but neither could speak the other language. And so I went from interpreter, which is how I started, to realizing what the problem was. They were looking at things through different timelines, and they felt disrespected because they couldn't say that. And so in the middle of that, after listening, I was like, listen, you know, here's an idea that would solve both parties, right? And would give you guys revenue for the next X amount of years. And they said, and they both agreed. So that's how it started from there. German, he was a, a German entrepreneur. He said he was going to put me in contact with other people that were trying to do business in China. And that's what happened. I started getting a lot of calls, and that's how I started moving into this area. I think about business interpreter. Language is one barrier, and it's still even the same if you speak the same language. Yes. And I think about the business owner that's growing his business, thinks he's growing his business, but he's just creating a job. Yes. And the business owner that's going in says, I'm creating a business that if I'm away for a month, it'll still operate the same, which is really a transferable business. And as you... Think about the inventory of clients. Do you often get called into businesses where you look at it and go, this business is a job? And does the owner realize it? Do they ask to fix it? Oftentimes the owner, in these cases, oftentimes the owner doesn't realize it. But the owner recognizes the symptoms. Hands on too many things. Feeling overwhelmed. Afraid that if they just close their eyes for a second, it's all going to collapse. Right? That is an owner of a business that is not a leader of a business. The owner is a part of the business. If the owner lets go, then the business collapses. That's not a business when you really think about it, right? It's a job. It's a job. I help turn owners into leaders by building that team and those systems that allow it to run on its own, the company to thrive on its own. And so oftentimes I'm not brought in for that, but I'm brought in to solve the symptoms. And solving the symptoms, right, by strategically aligning, getting the processes down, hiring a great team, and then allowing the time to build trust, the owner realizes that he, what he can do with all that time and with all those, that, that additional resources that he has, right? And so that then becomes the start of saying, now you can become a leader. Instead of focusing on the fires, you can focus on the mid to long term. So it's usually the end result of what they came to me for. 
And it's critical, not only for you as a leader, but for a business. This bull run is not going to last forever, and there are signs that it is weakening. And so we're going to be moving into a bear market. If you've never done business in a bear market, this is critical. You need to find a way to remove yourself from the business and build a structure and a team that can survive without you. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, if you're overwhelmed in a bull market, you don't even want to understand how you're going to feel in a bear market. You know, you and I have seen a few of them, right? 2001, 2008, probably even before that, well, I, right? I started in 87. Okay. <laughs> so if there's an yeah. industry you don't like, point me at it. I can yeah, fix it. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We talked about this on the first time. I said, how in the world did you get from all your international experience to Denver and why Denver? So I realized that clients all over the world, but they don't interact. And I'm trying to build impact in orders of magnitude. And so the question for me was, how can I serve a community that had clients that can collaborate with each other and change the nature of the community? And so I was looking, I looked around the world. I was in New Zealand when I was thinking through all this. And I was trying to find a place that had a great ecosystem for entrepreneurs, a rising group of entrepreneurs that come from all over the country that have hungry minds, for whatever reason, had to leave their homes, which meant they, had, they were hungry in life, right? And I think when you put you know, great ideas with hungry minds and an ecosystem that can help turn their vision into reality, then that is, those are the three ingredients for success. And so I looked around the world and Denver was that place for me. I was thinking as you're talking, let's say you're running across a business today and there are certain things that you see in the business that so the, here's some levers you need to pull and some that you don't, policies and procedures you need to put in place. But you said, if I could have talked to you three or five years ago, this is the advice I might have offered you. So if you're talking to a typical business that's enjoyed favorable economic conditions, what might be some of the policies and procedures you wish you could have told them five years ago? If they're just starting out five years ago, if five years ago was day zero, mm -hmm. I would say build purpose and build exit into their business process, into their business. By building purpose, they understand what's the point of getting up every day, right? And they can communicate that through the team. If they build exit, then they recognize what they need to build a business in a way that is attractive uh, and can thrive without you being there. Purpose gives you the reason to get up, and exit gives you what you need to do to build a business that lasts. A lot of times, both of those things come afterwards, or they change over time. But it's important to build them from the beginning. If you're already an established one, let's just say that you're, you've already making seven digits five years ago, right? And now you're probably doing, you're doing more. That means you're big enough that I would double down on saying two things. One, listen to everyone, the, the person sweeping the floor, listen to everyone. That is the pulse of your success. Your team is the pulse of your success. So how, how do you do that in a practical? I mean, so let, let's say I'm, I'm walking in in the morning. This is, you know, I need to listen to the folks that are running the company. I go hang out in the coffee shop. So what do you do to, to so this is something you can try so you can hear. Do you do? Start small. Right? Do you know the name of everyone that works at your company? If yes, can you name five things about them, right? 
And, you know, just keep going. If yes, then do you understand what their role is? Do you understand what sacrifices they make to come every day into work? Do you know if they've bought in or not? Right? And you start asking questions like that, and like peeling away at the layers, and then focus on, you know, one person a week, right? One person a week. You as the leader. But also that is a practice. An organization is a web. So that's a practice that you can lead by example throughout the organization. So teams that are siloed for weeks working on a particular product, right? They come out of that and who else do they know, right? Life has moved on. Have you created an organization that is fluid enough and open enough that has enough trust that people want to talk to each other? We had this whole script planned out, right? And we just absolutely ignored the script pretty much across the board, which is, I think, of the business owner that typically is so far in the business that they don't have much time to be on the business strategically. Do you think, in your experience, what causes a business owner to develop the vision where he can see his business from the buyer's perspective? You have buyer's eyes instead of owner's eyes. Can you say that question? What I find is I'll talk to a business owner and go, so what are you going to do next? They go, well, I don't really know. I says, so what's your business worth? They go, well, my cousin, nephew, CPA attorney, somebody said it's probably worth this. And the reality is, is it's probably worth something else, not what they think. But I don't very often that the business owner recognizes what a potential buyer looks at. I mean, I don't think they do. And how could they, if they're focusing every day on the fires, how could they... If they're trying to push out this system, push out this system, build this system and talk to this person, how can they, if they're talking to partners and still building the systems at the same time, right? It's important for them. If you're out there and you feel the same way, it's important for you to recognize the value as the owner of becoming the leader. Because when you become the leader, you don't have to worry as much on the operational fires because you've hired people for that. That means you can take your eyes and start listening to the stakeholders around you that are external. As a business owner, you go like, well, that's just an added expense to my company. If I hire a manager, I hire staff, that takes away from my bottom line. There's going to be costs one way or another. How do you feel right now? Are you so overwhelmed that you can't spend time with your family? Are you so overwhelmed that you can't think about next week, right? That cost is greater than the cost of building a team that can help take your business into what will be a bear market and will thrive without you. It's not like there are bottom lines and then there are bottom lines, right? Do you really want to be spending day after day after day this overwhelmed, this disoriented to where you're trying to get. I recognize the pressure to have a rising bottom line, but at the same time, that's cart before horse right now, right? Because if you have a positive cash flow already, then it's time to invest in the business because growth requires investment and it also requires a team, right? So don't look at it as expense. Look at it as you got lucky. You made it here without a team. All right, that's not sustainable, right? You need, instead of doubling down, going from 15 hours to 30 hours a day, which can't happen, you need to recognize that you've been lucky and build right. I think there's a real disconnect between the notion of revenue and value. So you can push the lever, maybe increase revenue, 
you know, I'm not altogether sure from a buyer's eye that represents added value. Yes. If you're the business owner and you go out and you close a really big contract, and so let's say you had 100 clients before, and then you go, you go and you kill the elephant, and half your revenue is from the elephant you just killed. I'm not going to yes, that may take and affect your revenue, but from client concentration issues, you may not have done your company a favor by bringing the elephant on board. Exactly. And it comes down to your timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Do you expect this overwhelm that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be able to exit successfully on your terms, right? If you play a longer game, then you're able to make the investments up front and watch those investments trickle into your revenue over the mid to long term. If you're trying to do it all at once, then, well, that's unsustainable. I invariably forget this, so to keep me from forgetting it, how do people find you on social media that want to reach out to you? Look me up on LinkedIn, Joseph Imbriano. If you want to... I'm going to spell that. Yeah. I-M-B-R-I-A-N-O. Yes. Yes. And it's Joseph with a P-H, J-O-S-E-P-H. A lot of people try to find me with an F at the end and they can't. Um, also, reach out to me on Instagram. If you want to have a conversation, if you have any questions for me, reach out to me on Instagram. You could also go to my site, omnikai.com, O-M-N-I-K-A-I.com, and read a little bit more about me, read a bit more about the company. And if you're interested, book an assessment, and we can talk more about your problems and how uh, we can help. You know, the thing that struck me interestingly is when we first started talking, and so you came to Denver, and she said, I've been going through a systematic approach in town. Yeah. And what would be interesting is if you would talk about your approach to entering this as a new market, trying to understand and see where you can make a difference. Yes. It all begins with recognizing that this is a long game, right? And so with that, I'm able to make more steps and focus more. And I realize that at the center of coaching is trust. And I'm an unknown here in Denver. So I wanted to introduce myself and see a lot of people are like, I'm Joseph and I'll do this. But for me, it was, I'm Joseph. Tell me more about you. What I wanted was to understand the dynamics of Denver. I may have had clients in Beijing, in Shanghai, in New Zealand, in Colombia. But at the end of the day, those people aren't, may not be the best way to understand the needs of Denver. So over the last few months, I've had several hundred cups of coffee with several hundred people to try to understand what it is they're working on, what it is they're trying to do, what impact they're trying to have, and then trying to discover ways that I can plug in. And that's been really, really helpful. You know, I think about process, right? And it sounds like to me, if Denver was one large business, you came in to take the temperature of the one large business. Yes. The process is just at a larger level. So if you were to comment on discovery, right? This is what, this is my overall impression of the gaps from my discussions are. What would those gaps be? So one thing that I found fascinating, it surprised me a little was that there's a lot of successful entrepreneurs, successful by their definition. But when you ask them what they're doing and the revenue they're making fits into their business purpose, I find that there's, there's a disconnect there, that operations is now leading strategy. And while that's great in a, in, a, in, a, in a market where rising tides of salt boats, 
it's not a good idea when we're moving into a different type of market. It doesn't allow us to be dynamic to the market ups and downs. So a return to strategic guidance, a return to strategic alignment where strategy guides operations is critical. And it's one of the areas that I want to plug in here in Denver. There's been a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of CEOs who, in talking with them, I realized that that was a problem. And it's a root problem for their feeling overwhelmed and for their current feelings of not understanding where their growth. They recognize this? I don't. I think at some point we let results. Actually, let me say that again. A lot of companies, when they see results, let results become their guiding factor. And if you're iterating fast enough, then at some point, it's just A, B, B. Okay, move on B. A, B, A. Okay, move on A. And they keep going. And you can go down a successful path, but it's still operations and results oriented. And while that can be great on the tactical level, the organization needs a strategy that guides it. I think for a lot of folks, if you start with the end in mind and you go, my life will look like five, eight, ten years like this. Yeah. My destination has the following characteristics. My bet, my business has the following characteristics. So you define the destination, then you start to backfill to your current location. And yeah. so you go, well, first you need to know in excruciating detail where you are at A. Yes. And then you need to define B. And I freely admit I have a shiny object problem. And lots of business people go, oh, there's a revenue opportunity. And there's yeah. a revenue opportunity over there. Yeah. And it's not consistent with what they said they wanted to go toward. Exactly. If they even had that discussion on the exit. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree, right? This is something I do in my life, right? I, I look at life in chapters. And so I have a chapter purpose, a chapter destination, as you call it, and a group, a process to getting there. And that's the same philosophy that I carry into helping clients. It's like, where do you want to be? Are we going to get there? Understanding that once we make a decision, we can't control the consequences. So it's still being flexible enough to be dynamic, right? But you're right in that a lot of times people put cart before horse. And while it sounds like a, a successful strategy, while you feel like you're being successful, you may be successful in one thing, but you're not going towards your destination, right? And over time, the distance between where your destination was and where you are can be so large that it has cracks within the systems, cracks within the business, cracks in buy-in and trust because you have people going, well, we're supposed to be going there. We're headed over here, right? And that all converges into a business problem, becomes a philosophical problem, an existential problem for the business. And how can a business exit, right? How can a business become sustainable? How can a business take the money that they've gotten from investors and turn it into positive investment with that discrepancy between where they are and where they were trying to go? Do you find when you work with business owners, do you get in their financial statements very much? Eventually, yes. The reason I'm asking is when you look at a financial statement, do you find the most, it's usually that's what my CPA did or here's my tax return basically on financials or I have a P&L, right? Here's, here's my P&L. Yeah. Do you think that actually tells them something or do you think it's just a document that they have? For many leaders... For many owners who are trying, who are at the point of feeling overwhelmed, then those documents have not been guiding. Those documents, they probably haven't even looked at. 
or if they've looked at it, they don't really understand how those numbers got on that sheet. Because understanding the financials is understanding the very breadth of the company, right? It shows where strategy meets action and it shows results. It shows allocation of resources. It does, right? Everything is right there. But here's the thing. A lot of CEOs are visionary. And so many of them may not be financially capable. They're not operational people. They're not operational people. They may not have hired an operational person. Or, and if they have, they may not have built enough trust that in a, in a failing business, the operations guy can say, hey, this is where we're headed, right? A visionary believes in what can be. And it's hard sometimes to show them the reality of where they are so that they can see that they're not going to get there. I think I spent some time talking to a CEO of a bank here in the past week or so and said in many cases that business owner brings in a business plan the business plan is incomplete or not useful. Or they're like, I don't, I understand my mortgage on my house. Yeah. I don't understand my business loan. Yeah. And I think it's a common issue. Many business owners have an idea, they have the passion, and they work their butt off and they bring it to life. Yeah. They go, never went to business school, don't know a financial statement from a cost of goods or anything else. Yeah. And you know, I'm just talking out loud and I was curious if it was my perception or if you see that rather frequently. I see it frequently. It doesn't become a problem if you've hired the right people around you, right? Not every CEO needs to be able to identify, and not every CEO needs to understand the foundations of a piano, but they do need to understand what it means. And they need the right people to explain it to them. The CEO is the CEO. His or her role is to look at the external stakeholders and communicate the vision, right? He needs to surround himself with people who are willing to tell him the current reality of the company and what they need to do using the operations, using the results. A lot of times, particularly when you're growing, you don't, you're hiring for the fires. And so you need a website. So you hire an IT guy. You need taxes because you got to do them. So you hire a tax person, but you don't hire the people in the mid to long term because you're constantly worried and hiring I mean, for the fires. I think there's a misconception, and, and I don't know if many business owners, maybe there were now, but you could get a part-time CFO. Of course. And you think when you're working with a stakeholder or you're working with a lending organization, yeah. and you go, well, yeah, I do the books myself, or I have a part-time CFO, Yeah, which is a whole lot better than no-time CFO. Yeah. It's those types of investments that can be the difference between you calling me or you not calling me, mm -hmm. right? And But a lot of times people can view that as an expense and not an investment. But it is critical, like you say, to be able to understand the financials, to understand where time and resources are going, to understand it in a way that you can pivot when you have to, and understand your strategy just so that you know, because everything has to align with your destination. And I find it amazing. Just a few years ago, you couldn't get a, like a, a part-time CFO, right? No. This is so new. The resources available to entrepreneurs now is unheard of, right? You know, I started in 2004. When you started in 87, they were nothing like here, right? And yet, I think in some ways, the ability to have a lot of options forces indecision. Mm -hmm. Back when we started, we had to follow the process because our options were more limited. And so we focused on every step in the process. What are your thoughts on that? I think, like, I gave up doing my taxes a long, long time ago. Yeah. Because it's not where I live. Yeah. I do understand what goes into them and why they're there and in multiple businesses. I understand 
the levers that, what I would say, cause asymmetric value improvement. Yeah. You spend a buck to make 50 cents. You spend yeah. a buck and you make three bucks. Yeah. And you go, I understand that leverage well. And I think for the business owner, it's been, I've been curious when they build their, their financials, do they build their financials where it has the levers that tell them, this is a big part of my budget with a low return on investment. This is a small part of my budget that has a great return on my investment. Should I spend more or less there? Is that a legacy department division and whatnot? Before I go too far down the rabbit hole and forget what I was going to ask you. So I'm a business owner in Denver, right? And I'm not really sure what my problem is. By all measures, whether it's the banker, my friends, my revenue stream, my tax return, tax liability, I'm a success, but I feel like somebody's sneaking up on me. I'm getting to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You've heard the business owners say it to you before. This is why I reached out to you. This was what was bothering me. This is the symptom. Can you recap a number of those types of things? So if a listener goes, hell, that's me. I feel exactly that yes. way. I'm going to call them out in no sure. order. Just recency bias is going to bring it out. If you feel like you're just overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. I just don't have enough time in the day. Uh, we're going to start with those mm-hmm. processes first. If you say, you know, I haven't seen my family in weeks. If you say, my growth is flattened out. I remember one client yesterday saying, leaking money and I don't know where it's going. I'm trying to hire, but everyone I hire just isn't doing the job right, right? Or the team that I have isn't able to handle these new fires, which shows, you know, misallocation of resources, misallocation of your team. I just got a hundred million dollars in revenue, I'm sorry, an investment, and I don't know what to do with it, mm-hmm. right? How do I build properly? That's the way to think or of it. Or so offered me this much, should yes. I take it? Yeah. Or the... Or yes, or even the inverse, which is I just pitched to 10 people and they keep telling me I have these systemic problems and I don't understand. If you're a visionary as an owner and you want to understand operationally what is limiting you for growth, then give me a call. As we come to close, because I've been harassing you now for a better part of almost an hour. I love it. This has been really fun. I think about industries that you may either specialize in or prefer or that you can really make a big difference. Are there specific industries that hit your radar screen? I've worked across industries and across different cultural environments. I do prefer to work with companies that have a social purpose or at least a purpose that tries to leave the world better than it is. Now, this doesn't have to be the entire world, but your community your marketplace, it has to be more than just profit-driven. While that is very important, I do prefer to work with companies that also have a mission to make the world better. Mm-hmm. So in your past, for example, what would that be? So for example, there was a business that was helping land, a business that was helping communities that had just come out of war, conflict, 50 years, to reintegrate into the community when part of the community was uh, where the people who were laying mines, landmines, and part of the community were the people who were hit by landmines. But at the end of the process, they had to come back and forgive and move on as a community. I mean, can you imagine that, right? That's an incredible purpose, right? And a symmetry between mission and bringing business into that mission, right? And so I love working with that. 
bolstering that mission with business practices. But it doesn't have to be that intense of a social purpose, right? Just trying to improve your team's economic welfare by paying them more or giving them added benefits so that they can give back to their community, right? That is something that's important as well, right? So it's broadly defined, right? If you want to help the city of Denver come together through the movement that you create with your business, that's one thing as well. Joseph, I tell you, you know, we, we've been at this for a while and I'm looking at the script and go, yeah, yeah we didn't. <laughs> I mean, that was just next time. Yeah, next, next time. time. Next time. <laughs> but I really appreciate you taking your time and for the listeners out there, you kind of go, well, I don't know. And you go, the biggest mistake that you can make, and I tell this all the time, is a phone call is really inexpensive. Yep. It's very easy to do and make the call and go, does it fit? Yes. And if you're still unsure, so let's go grab coffee because clearly you're drinking lots of coffee. Right? I love it. Yeah, let's grab coffee. Let's talk about your business. If we're not a good fit, then we're not a good fit. But if we are, it could be the difference between a company that's struggling to survive and a, and a fully functioning, thriving business. And I think an edge that maybe folks don't perceive is that your exposure to international cultures of many of you know, Europe and China and South America and so on if you're a company in Denver that's working in that market or wanting to work in that market, yes, that you would be a very good interpreter, for <laughs> lack of a better term. Yeah, very good interpreter, but also a very good uh, person who can build products yes. that are culturally sensitive to the market. Joseph, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it, Bob. Thank you. You bet.